1: Hello everyone and welcome to New Books in French Studies, discussions with scholars of France and the Francophone world about their new books. I'm your host, Roxanne Panchassi. My guest today is David Marin, the author of With Friends Like These, Entangled Nationalisms in the Canada-Québec-France Triangle, 1944 to 1970. And the book was... Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books in French Studies, discussions with scholars of France and the Francophone world about their new books. I'm your host, Roxanne Panchassi. My guest today is David Marin, the author of With Friends Like These, Entangled Nationalisms in the Canada-Quebec-France Triangle, 1944-1970, to and the book was published by University of British Columbia Press in 2012.
0: Hi there, David. Hi there, Roxanne.
1: Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today.
0: Oh, no, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the book with you.
1: Could you get us started by telling our listeners a little bit more about yourself and what got you interested in working on the relationship between Canada, France, and Quebec?
0: Sure. Um, well, I guess if I have to talk about the source of the book, it would really go to uh, having grown up in Ontario uh, in the 1970s and 1980s uh, against the backdrop of uh, the debate over Quebec's political future, mm. um, and then, you know, um, being of a certain age when the uh, bicentenary of the uh, the French Revolution occurred, um, that had an effect on me as well. And so there is always kind of um, an interest in the francophone world, an interest in Quebec, an interest in its relationship uh, with Canada, um, and uh, the relationship between Canada and France. Mm-hmm. And um, so then when I was doing uh, my master's in international relations, um, I was interested in the whole question of crisis uh, decision-making in the Canadian context. And one of the crises uh, that we discussed was uh, de Gaulle's uh, visit to Montreal in 1967, um, his uh, announcement from the, uh, the balcony of uh, Montreal City Hall, of Vive le Québec Libre, and this being a crisis in uh, the history of Canadian foreign relations. And so uh, that really was kind of the, the genesis of the project. And then when I started my doctorate uh, at uh, McGill University in 2000, um, I really just wanted to understand this crisis, wanted to understand this moment in time, uh, mm-hmm. July 1967. Um, But then the project really did end up taking on a life of its own as I started engaging with questions of the history of globalization, transnational history, uh, anti-Americanism, this sort of thing.
1: You know, you begin the, the book, uh, David, with that famous, that De Gaulle's famous creed, du, du balcon, the cry from the balcony, um, mm-hmm. in 67, and it really does serve as a, as an anchor in some sense for the book. And wh- what do you think it is about that moment that made it so, has made it so mythological? I mean, almost instantly, and then since then?
0: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, it, well, it's one of these moments where, one of these rare moments, I think, where kind of the world pays some attention to Canada. <laughs> um, you know, it, this was a moment when the uh, the World's Fair was taking place in Montreal. Um, you have somebody of de Gaulle's stature coming here um, and, and really causing a controversy. Um, and, you know, obviously... This was not uh, in a vacuum. Uh, this could be situated in a much longer history of Gaullist prov- provocation, mm-hmm. um, and so you know th- there's the the Gaullist dimension to it, but obviously then the, the the Quebec Canada dimension to it as well. I mean, this was a moment that was uh, was very significant in terms of the history of, of Quebec. Uh, nationalism, the Quebec independence movement, um, and by definition, it became, uh, an important moment in Canadian history as well. And certainly in terms of the historical memory, um, the, 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 the uh, Vive le Québec libre, uh, is, is is still very present. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah.
1: You know, one of the things I appreciated so much about the book was it gave me, you know, rather than just kind of a superficial awareness of that moment itself, it really contextualizes it um, across a much broader uh, stretch of time. So the book extends from 1944 uh, to 1970. So I wanted to ask you to say a little bit about those bookends, you know, why, mm-hmm. okay. um, and uh, and to maybe say just in general terms, because we'll get into the details of the book, but to say some things about you know, broad changes over the course of this period of, of twenty five, more than twenty five years, um, yeah. and and continuities.
0: Sure. Um, well, in terms of periodization, I think that that goes uh, you know kind of paradoxically, given the fact that we're just talking about De Gaulle. Was my effort to kind of um, decenter De Gaulle a bit, and the periodization had uh, something to do with that. Um, you know, a lot of the research or a lot of the the, the, the historiography or literature on um, the Canada-Québec-France tribal was really kind of emphasizing the post-1960 period. You know, it's Mm. a period when de Gaulle is back in power, when uh, the Quiet Revolution, uh, this moment of political, economic, and cultural effervescence in Quebec uh, was really underway. Um, And so there's a real focus on that 1960 to 1970 period, and that periodization... Uh, favoured a certain narrative of Quebec history and a narrative that really placed the emphasis on de Gaulle, the individual. You know, this was very much kind of great man type history. Mm-hmm. But I really wanted to get away from uh, doing that. And a way of doing that was looking at the period uh, that was, uh, was anticipating the 1960s, looking at what's going on in the period when de Gaulle is not in power. Um, and 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 I'm trying to understand uh, things that were bigger than De Gaulle, um, and so I begin with 1944 simply because you know this is a, a, a moment when uh, France has just been liberated. Um, it, the Franco-Canadian relationship has taken on a totally different aspect as a result of the war years. Mm-hmm. That seemed to be a natural beginning. In, in 1970, uh, the ending of it, you know, really, I mean, we'll, we'll get to this later on in the conversation, but, you know, you you have the institutionalization of the Francophonie by 1970. Mm-hmm. Um, De Gaulle is De out of power by 1970. Lester Pearson, who was the prime minister during the kind of the Canadian prime minister during the most significant moments of the triangular tensions, is no longer in power. Pierre Trudeau has come to power. Uh, There's been uh, political changes in Quebec City, as um, as there's been a a replacement of the the premier uh, Daniel Johnson, who died in office uh, by Jean-Jacques and had been replaced by Jean-Jacques Bertrand. Um and so I you know, the nineteen seventy um bookend really had everything to do with showing the fact that this was more than just de Gaulle, this mm-hmm. was more than just the Cree de Balcon, that there was something bigger uh going on.
1: I'm just sort of taking apart your title right now, David, <laughs> so yeah. and asking you okay, so entangled I've talked about the nineteen forty-four to nineteen seventy part. So entangled nationalism. So I want to ask yeah. you how you're using that term nationalism and you're using it in the plural um, in the title and throughout the book. So how would you say the book intervenes in that massive literature on the history and theory of nation and nationalism?
0: Yes, I mean, um, a bit of a fool's errand, I think. Uh, but I, you know, for me, it was trying to understand this, 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 cri de balcón and trying to understand what was, what were the bigger issues going on in the Canada, Quebec, France triangle, and so for me, you know that 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 moment in time, 1967, is a period in which you see this this confluence, this convergence of nationalisms, and what I was trying to understand uh, by 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 studying the triangle was I was trying to understand how how. How the very idea of nation was uh, evolving during this period in in the local context, in mm. the Quebec context, in the Canadian context, and in the French context, in a period in which um, you had an acceleration of, of globalization, when you had uh, preponderant American power, when um, you, you were you were beginning to see. Um, uh, the increasing permeability of 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 this notion of the sovereign nation state uh, amidst uh, you know growing transnational flows growing economic interdependence and, and the the impact that this was having on nations and so it, it's not just i don't think it's just three nations or three nationalisms i should say that I'm talking about uh, in the book, um, it's several competing nationalisms at each point, so different ideas of what Canada is to be, different ideas of what Quebec is or what French Canada is, um, different ideas of what France is to be. Um, and so, you know, in that regard, I guess I was really trying to engage with the ideas of, you know, people like Benedict Anderson, mm-hmm. David Bell, um, Gary Wilder, Just showing how identity was, uh, national identity was being constructed, how it was being shaped, uh, and those individuals who took it upon themselves to kind of defend the idea of nation or a certain idea of it, in any event.
1: Is there much in the way of common ground in terms of what? Well, well, you've just said that you know, in each site or each point on the triangle, there there's a multiplicity of nationalisms, sort of in competition with one another. So. That answers part of my question, but is there common is there common ground between these three points on the triangle in terms of what nation means at this time?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I mean that's a that's a really important point to be making I think about the book because so much of the existing literature had tended to um, tended to just kind of treat this as a story of confrontation of conflict and I really wanted to, to make an effort to show that in fact there, there were points of common ground that there, there were points of commonality and in a sense that was a source of um, that was a source of some of the conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know this is this is a period when um, the national governments are being called upon, to um, more effectively intervene um, in national economies, to uh, to ensure well-being, to ensure economic development. I mean, this is the the Keynesian era. This is mm-hmm. the era of the, of the welfare state of uh, les trente glorieuses. And so, in many respects, what you are having occur in, in the 1944 to 70 period is competing. Keynesian states that are uh, looking to um, develop the nation, construct the nation, um, and ensure the, the the durability of the nation, even at a period, even during a period when uh, there is growing economic interdependence.
1: I wanted to come back to something you, you, you sort of raised a, a moment ago about the um, the historiography that's represented uh the relationship between these three points um as antagonistic and ask you about the first part of the title sure. um and how you came to that i mean with friends like these it it definitely suggests um that you know going into the book that i'm going into a fight
0: yes. <laughs> is yes. that
1: is that deliberate what what did you think about that how did you come to that i guess as a title for the book
0: oh uh, well that's uh, uh... Thanks for the opportunity you know, to, to, add, to to talk about the title. Um, you know, the, for me, there there's definitely a double meaning uh, to with friends like these, um, because uh, yes, there's the tr- there's the traditional uh, expression with friends like these who needs enemies. And mm-hmm. There's there's definitely uh, that element that is playing out in the book. Um, you know. Uh, the, 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 the conflict between Ottawa and Paris is very clear um, and uh, to be honest, the conflict between Ottawa and Quebec City is very clear as as time goes on so there's a, there's a there's a real conflict between um, between between governments but at the same time um, and I'll just to go back to that for a moment, I'll say as well that there is a conflict as well between Paris in Quebec City, because um, increasingly what we see as the triangular tensions occur is that you have Quebec nationalism and the Gaullist brand of French nationalism beginning to talk past one another. Mm. So there's a growing discomfort in Quebec City about exactly where de Gaulle is going and exactly where Gaullist France is going. And there's Frustration on the part of Paris in terms of the way Quebec is behaving at certain points. So there's that conflictual dimension to it, but then there's also the there's the allied dimension to it. This notion that yes, we can work with these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that uh, Canada and France can be working together to control the American superpower. Uh, the idea that France and uh, Francophone Quebec can be working to ensure the uh, survival and flourishing of the, the Francophone fact in North America. Um, and so, so there is that double meaning to the book, you know, to the title. I mean.
1: So in terms of the other, there, I mean, there's another poll for all three points on the triangle, which you've already raised, which is this oh. idea of uh, the, the specter of Americanization and the role of the United States and the impact of the United States in the post-war period for all three sites that you're looking at. And I, I guess I want to ask you to say a little bit more about that, but also to ask the question of how much the United States cares. Like, So it's Paris, uh, Quebec City, Ottawa. How much does Washington care about what's happening in this triangle?
0: Sure. Um, I think to the extent that we can say the United States cares, Um it really is in the the context of the broader issue of Franco American tensions. Mm. Uh, you know, the, you're, you're having real problems between um, Gaullist France and, um, and, uh, and, uh, and 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 the United States, the, the Kennedy administration and the Johnson administration, in terms of how uh, how to handle these relations. And so, you know, what what, what De Gaulle is doing. What de Gaulle is doing, or what Gaullist France is doing uh, in terms of Quebec, is is on American radar. Uh, I did come across one document where uh, the, the American Department of State, or the American Secretary of State, I should say, um, on, on the eve of de Gaulle's visit, uh, makes a point of approaching a Canadian diplomatic official to say, look... Um, We've received word that there is going to be problems uh, on account of this visit, um, and we think you should know about it. So there, was de- there were definitely exchanges uh, going, uh, going back and forth. And then even in the pre-De Gaulle era, you know, the, 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 or in the, you know, the pre-1960 period, um, Canada was serving as something of, a, of an intermediary, in uh, the various um, uh, various international organizations that were linking both sides of the Atlantic, uh, organizations like like NATO and the United Nations. Around. And so, um, you know, to the extent that, that we can say that the United States cared, uh, I think it was within the context of the broader, broader hegemonic management of kind of the, the North Atlantic region.
1: And what about... The wider world. So, I guess I'm wondering about some other contexts, um, you know, a larger context of decolonization um, and uh, of an emergent
0: Europe.
1: Um, how much does the rest of the world care about the triangle?
0: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, to the extent that the rest of the world cares about the triangle, you know, I think in a certain sense <laughs> they're compelled to pay attention to it, whether they, whether they, whether they want to or not, um, you know, we'll talk a bit about that. I think maybe in terms of uh, the Francophonie, um, but you know, what is, what is occurring, I think, is you know, it is there's something sort of self-contained about the triangular uh, relationship I'm talking about. But the reality is, is that the the outside world is is is, is affecting. Uh, this this this, mm-hmm. this 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 relationship. So, is the triangle affecting the rest of the world? Well, uh, not as a, in a triangular sense, I guess. Uh, you know, it's not. Canada is obviously having relations uh, with with various other parts of the world beyond France, um, but it's it's not that the triangular relations as such are, are really um, affecting um, the rest of the world. What? What is significant, though, is how broader issues of decolonization, of um, Americanization, of preoccupation with economic modernization end up uh, influencing the triangle and influencing the various actors in the triangle. Um, so, so we can see the triangle as being very much a product of kind of the the evolution of global conditions uh, after the second world war and so yes the the global south has an impact on what is occurring in the triangle
1: mm-hmm. david to 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 a great extent i mean i'm doing it too you know you use throughout the book the the names of the cities right so it's paris right. quebec city ottawa and i've just said washington um, yeah. And, and I guess I'm just wondering sort of methodologically and in terms of your analysis and your approach to this material and this time period, to what extent is that sort of a short form, an easy short form for this conversation? And, you know, when you're talking about these issues in the book,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and to what extent does that reflect an orientation in the book towards the diplomatic, the relationship between, you know, governmental, uh, headquarters in yeah. these places versus or maybe not versus, but, uh, you know, in relationship to broader societal perceptions, cultural attitudes, exchanges of the Canadian people, the Quebec people, the French people. So what what would you say about the uh, about the broader um, about the diplomatic focus or not of the book mm-hmm. and how it exists in conversation with the broader societies that the book is engaged with?
0: Right. Uh, well, I, I think this is um, this is a, one of the things that I was wrestling with as I was doing the book. I approached the subject matter when I first started my my doctorate um, uh, as kind of a traditional diplomatic history, and I quickly realized that that approach was just simply not sufficient, mm-hmm. um, and because it was it was far more complicated than what. Uh, bureaucrats in one capital were saying to another, and even within each capital, there were there were divisions, there were dissensions, uh, and I you know you can see it in the book. Uh, there are divisions within the uh, Quai about about uh, Francis Quebec policy. There are certainly divisions within uh, Canada's Department of External Affairs over uh, over the situation, and uh, within Quebec as well. You know, Quebec is going through. This this tumult um, as as um, a more kind of Quebec centric type of nationalism is beginning to supplant uh, French Canadian nationalism, and um, so 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 there are divisions at, uh, at each point um, of the triangle. I, I would say that you know as as I proceeded with the research, what I was really trying to do was draw upon sources. Uh, that went beyond just political relations, that looked at the economic dimension of the relationship, that looked at cultural aspects of the relationship, uh, and then looked at non-governmental aspects of the relationship. Um, And so, you know, I was drawing on uh, various newsletters, uh, various uh, newspapers as well, um, various other publications in order to to kind of get a... um, a view of the triangle that kind of went beyond the the the, the leaders, I guess. Uh, that being said, you know, if, I, if 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 I were to criticize my own work, I, I think that there is work to be done in terms of looking at how this is playing out at a uh, at a kind of broader societal level. Um, I would say that um, that because I'm dealing with kind of um, national identity and the construction of nations—that um, there does s- tend to be uh, an orientation more towards um, certain elites, uh, be they political, be they economic, or be they cultural—and um, so, yeah, there's, there's clearly this is clearly going to have ramifications uh, for the broader society because um, elements of, at all points of the triangle are preoccupied with what, uh, you know, the society in general or the population in general is uh, is doing, how they're behaving.
1: I'm just curious. So when you uh, describe yourself as a, as a scholar, as we all have to do on occasion, <laughs> um, you know, I say I'm a cultural historian of modern France. So what's yeah. your, I mean, after writing a book where you're dealing with these different poles, and uh, how would you, what's your short form for, for yourself?
0: that is that is a that is a very difficult question to to answer I, you know i guess if i had to I, if i had to take a label i'd say look i'm either an international historian who uh-huh. deals with the canadian dimension of things or i'm a canadianist who deals with the <laughs> tries to place canada in kind of a global history uh-huh. um you know I, I don't think i would make uh, any pretense to be a uh, be a French historian, but I am somebody who has been interested in, in French history and, and who has definitely tried to engage with French history as I've been trying to 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 place the triangle into this kind of broader global context.
1: It was a completely unfair question. Oh, totally fair one. Totally fair one. So the first part of the book, David, focuses on that earlier period, uh, 1944 to 1960. And you talk about the emergence of this special relationship between Paris and Quebec City and talk about, you know, what encouraged and, and, and made for this rapprochement after 1945 and also look at how that affected uh, Franco-Canadian relationships and the response of Ottawa and all of that. So in that first part of the book, you look at, and it's one of the most impressive things about the book to me is how you move from looking at the sort of geopolitics to looking at the economic relationship to then, you know, trying to bring culture and cultural policy into this. Um, so in that first part of the book, you, you look at those things. So how would you characterize in that period, 1944 to 1960, uh the relations of you know coming together rapprochement, as, 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 as you use the term, and the tensions that are there in this in this triangle during that period
0: uh, I, well i how I would characterize it is really you know think of two magnets coming together um and you know if you if if, if you hold them one way, they're going to draw one another together very effectively but if you if you turn them around, they repel. And so what you have in that 1944 to 1960 period is at once uh, rapprochement and repulsion. Mm. Um, and again, you know, we can, we can break it down according to, to geopolitics, so geoeconomics and culture. You know, in, in, what you have really, at least in terms of um, France and, and Canada, uh, in terms of their foreign policies, is an is you know the great hopes in the immediate post-war period uh, for rapprochement, for a deeper relationship, for cooperation, and there are there are definite elements of of that cooperation. There are uh, stronger relations in that kind of 1945 to early 1950s period, uh, but increasingly. Uh, as the post-war period goes along, um, the differences in approach uh, based on the you know, unique circumstances of France, unique circumstances of Canada in the postwar period, end up actually making the things that had brought them together uh, make, end up basically drawing them up, uh, drawing them apart. So you know um, the whole question of NATO, uh, the whole question of Atlanticism ends up being a point of contention. The whole question of um, economic uh, policy becomes a point of contention. Uh, Canada favors a more Atlanticist, liberal, uh, internationalist approach. Uh, France increasingly is focusing on on Europe and European integration. And then, at the same time as this is going on in the cultural sphere, uh, you have a, um, a proliferation. Of relations, uh, especially between French Canada and uh, France, that uh, is on the one hand a very positive development and is um, seen as you know an opportunity for two francophone cultures to be engaging with one another more and more. But there's a defensive uh, a defensive aspect to it as well. There's a there's a concern that the the kind of transnational exchanges that uh, that, that these cultural relations are a part of are also increasing American cultural influences. And so this is just going to reinforce the concern for some kind of Franco-Quebecois uh, cultural cooperation. So the, the 1944 to 1960 period is really crucial to, to planting or to, to, uh, to setting the stage uh, for, uh, for what is going to be uh, occurring in the 1960s.
1: You know, the deeper I got into the book in this first part and then the the next two parts of the book, I I kept thinking, coming back to this idea of, you know, the triangle and thinking that when I first saw it and started to read about it in the introduction and thinking of if that in pretty simple terms, right? Three points triangle. And then yeah. as I was reading it becoming a, like a lot messier and had more questions about this triangle, like is it an equilateral triangle? Is it an isosceles triangle? Is it a right angle triangle? Like are some of the sides thicker than others? Um, are there breaks? And so, um, I mean, I don't want to launch us into a whole geometric conversation, but I am curious about the unevenness of these power of the power relations, I guess, but in the yeah. triangle and the, you know, there's a long-standing, uh, kind of tension that, that, you know, I, I sort of informally am aware of as somebody who grew up in Montreal and spent many years living in France of this sort of sense of a, a Quebec seeking, uh, France's, I don't know if approval is the right word, but respect or something. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, is France, does France see itself as an equal, partner or relator in the triangle to Canada you know old Europe new world um, uh, among other things so I just wondered if you could say something about that the the equality of this triangle and some of the power dynamics in the different points between the different
0: points sure uh, no I mean uh, I'm, I'm horrified at the prospect of a discussion about mathematics but <laughs> I, I, i'll totally I'll totally launch into the, the whole question of the triangles because I, I think that there are in a sense several triangles uh, depending on what aspect of the relationship you're talking about um and you know I think we we're talking about a number of scalene triangles if if I can use the term um because you know in, in terms of culture uh, there's definitely you know the 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 Quebec France axis is going to be stronger uh in that in that triangle if we're talking about geopolitics uh, I think we could make the argument that the the, 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 the Ottawa Paris axis is going to be stronger. Um, economics it's a bit more uh, I want to say equilateral or in, evenly balanced maybe is a better way of putting it. Just because um, even though you have uh, Franco Canadian economic relations, you're increasingly in the nineteen post nineteen forty five period seeing growing. Uh, economic contacts and cooperation uh, between France and Quebec, um, and so so I, I would think I would just say that um, as the tensions of the 1960s really begin to come to the fore, these these triangles begin to, to shift, um, where um, it's clear that Paris is increasingly favoring uh Quebec City uh, in its approach uh and Ottawa is increasingly marginalized uh in every aspect of the relationship and and it really the 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 part of the book that I I explore um the kind of post 1960 relations is that story of of kind of um shifting triangular dynamics
1: in the second part of the book, David, you really focus on the 1960s and in chapters where you talk about the sort of concern with protecting and promoting this fait français, North America's French fact. So I guess mm-hmm. I want you to ask you to say a little bit more about what that term means and refers to. And I guess in, in that section of the book, uh, I, I started to ask myself questions about, you know, how the French fact expands to other parts of Canada because there are other francophone pockets of Canada, um, and how, if at all, uh, the United States is um, interested in its own French facts, mm-hmm. um, and what role that plays, if any, in in all of this.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh well, I mean, when I'm tell- when I use the term fait français" or French fact, uh, I'm, I'm talking about the the legacy of um, French imperialism mm-hmm. in, in North America. Uh, that is the the, the uh, Community uh, that uh, was left after uh, the British conquest of North America uh, and the the evolution of it and you know the one of the sources of the triangular tensions is is the preoccupation at all three points of the triangle to preserve this French fact and to define this French fact for. For Canada, which is, uh, in the 1960s anyway, increasingly uh, open, or at least certain aspects of Canada are uh, increasingly open to the, the notion of a bilingual and bicultural Canada, uh, it's Ottawa. That should be uh, playing a role in in preserving and promoting this this French fact, uh, all the better in a sense to distinguish Canada from the United States and to use the French fact as kind of a um, a protection against Americanization. For uh, Quebec nationalists, uh, there is a shift away from this idea of a pan Canadian French Canadian nation, and there is an, a there is a growing concentration on Quebec as the foyer of a Francophone nation in North America. And it's, in fact, Quebec, the government of Quebec, that is the political expression of that nation. And then for for, for France, um, uh, for Gaulist France anyway, there is a growing uh, proclivity to, to sympathize with this Quebec nationalist approach, um, which, you know, does cause complications because, of course, you do have... Uh, Francophone minority populations outside of Quebec. You have the Acadians uh, in the Maritime Provinces, Uh, you have a fairly significant uh, Francophone population uh, in Ontario, um, in uh, Manitoba as well, and what ends up happening is um, elements in Gaullist France, and in fact, uh, de Gaulle himself begin to kind of treat Quebec City as the spokesperson for this French fact, be it inside Quebec territory or outside of Quebec territory, um, and this is not without complication for for French policy because um, you know there are, there are, there is a history of um, should we say tensions between uh, these various francophone minority groups and uh, and Quebec as well. Mm. Um, in terms of the United States. Um, You know, I I haven't come across any um, evidence suggesting that there was uh, an American concern about, say, French involvement in Louisiana or in New England, um, uh, where, you know, there's a history of a a francophone uh, or a French-Canadian community. But at least in terms of Louisiana, you do have... um, Efforts on the part of various Quebec bureaucrats to begin um, uh, encouraging ties between Quebec and Louisiana, and this goes this goes to the notion of Quebec as being kind of the the, the foyer of the French fact in in the western uh, the western hemisphere. Um, you know the the, the notion that that, uh, that, that 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 Quebec is kind of the outpost. Of, um, of Francophone culture uh, in the Western world, uh, and you know that's, that's going to cause um, complications in terms of uh, relations between Quebec and Haiti, uh, between Canada and Haiti as well.
1: That's really interesting. You, you talk, David, in the section also about um, well, you refer to it as the acceleration of Quebec political life, and you know, got me thinking about well, wanting to ask you about what happens in Quebec specifically, but also to think about the 1960s as, you know, the acceleration of political life sort of on a global scale in some sure. sense. And so then I wondered, yeah, if you could say a little bit about that specifically in the Quebec context, but also, you know, there has been this kind of exploding field of work on the 60s. And I wonder how you see your work situated in relationship to that uh, bigger project of uh, the, the global 60s. And how the book, uh, because of its focus in, in in you know a couple of its parts on the '60s, how you would see yourself contributing to that dialogue about the decade?
0: Right. Uh, well, I mean, you know, one of the privileges of, of of having written the book was that it was occurring as you really were, were just getting a proliferation of works. Uh, dealing uh, with the 1960s and uh, lord knows I, I participated in in some conferences uh dealing dealing with the global 1960s and brought my own um uh, voice uh, to these uh to these uh, conferences and uh, you know i'd I like to think that I, i'm participating uh, mm-hmm. in these conversations i think you know if, if, if i if i just, to point to one uh, one or two specific things, I think the whole question of decolonization and the eruption of the Third World as an ideological and political force um, definitely plays a role in the book. Um, it, to me, one of the, the, the fascinating things that I studied was looking at how you know kind of the ideas and the, the events and the examples that had kind of emerged in opposition to French imperialism, you know, I'm thinking of Algeria here specifically, um, ended up, in fact, promoting uh, a rapprochement between France and Quebec because uh, France, um, or at least certain elements of the French diplomatic establishment and political establishment, uh, kind of looked to the example of Algeria as they were interpreting what was going on in Quebec uh, in the early 1960s. And, you know, I don't think it's an accident that the acceleration of kind of the France-Québec rapprochement was occurring at the same moment as the denouement of the Algerian Revolution. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a a real sense in Paris that uh, Quebec was undergoing the same kind of nationalist Prise de conscience, and that it was um, it was inevitable that uh, Canada was not going to be able to hold on to Quebec, that Quebec was destined, like uh, other parts of the decolonizing world, uh, to achieve its independence. Uh, you know, that's a I, I would make the argument, and I have made the argument that that's a problematic interpretation of Quebec. Uh, I think it's a re- rather reductionist. Interpretation of Quebec and its relationship with Canada. Yet, decolonization did play a role in in in, in determining uh, the, the, the the evolution of Franco Quebecois relations.
1: So, as you move, David, in the book through this discussion of the 1960s towards 1967, the crisis of of de Gaulle's uh, visit, you talk about the increasing kind of competition and tensions between Quebec and Canada over the relationship with France. And I'm just wondering if you could say a little bit about how things evolve over the course of the decade. Can you say that there's a movement towards something by the time we get to the end of the decade? And and if so, what is that?
0: Right. Um, Well, I should probably say that from the get-go, I think what the outcome will be will be rather um, ambivalent. And this is in keeping, to be honest, with the history of Quebec, with the history of Canada, uh, with, the history, uh, with the history of the relationship between uh, Quebec and Canada. Um, so that's, uh, that's kind of the end point. What, what I'd say is what occurs in the 1960s is that um, Paris increasingly adopts a two-nation approach, uh vis-a-vis Canada and Quebec uh, an approach that is increasingly favoring uh, Quebec mm-hmm. and um, you know part of this is um, an effort to hasten uh, Quebec's um, achievement of a new political status uh, be it um, uh, outright independence or something like sovereignty association some kind of um, um, sovereignty within a reorganized uh, Canadian community, if I can use that comparison, um, or, or reorganized Canadian union, I should say. Um, so so there's, there's that aspect of it, but also in terms of the economic and cultural dimensions of things, what you see is concerted efforts, concerted political efforts on the part of Paris and Quebec City, uh, to achieve uh, a more robust economic relationship, um, an economic partnership between two Francophone populations. And Canada, uh, Ottawa, the federal government, trying to play catch-up to assert itself in this economic relationship. Um, Culturally as well, you have a growing... um, Cultural cooperation between the the French government and the Quebec government, uh, especially um, as a result of two uh, cultural agreements that are signed in in the mid-1960s and then um, some subsequent agreements uh, post uh, de Gaulle's visit. And again, Canada, the federal government trying to assert itself as a viable interlocutor uh, in terms of cultural relations and as a viable spokesperson uh, for French Canada. Um, and then you have, finally, um, a growing um, antipathy in the geopolitical uh, area, where you see what amounts to a foreign policy failure on the part of the federal government, as Canada tries to um, reconcile uh, France and the United States and keep intact the um, the NATO, the Atlanticist framework that, that Ottawa places so much uh, importance on, but ultimately... Um, these efforts only serving to confirm um, Gaullist antipathy for the Canadian status quo, and, and thereby provoking uh, Gaullist intervention.
1: Well, let's come back to the moment of crisis to '67 sure. again, because you know I know that part of the project, and I think you succeed at decentering, um, you know, moving away from De Gaulle and showing the complexities in you know chronologically and in terms of you know the breadth of What's really going on here that it's not all about De Gaulle, but that moment is so important in 1967. And I guess I want to ask a couple of questions about it and then to, to get you to tell us a little bit more about the, the crisis and then what ensues in the, in the years, years following, you know, how, to what extent, I guess in the years that I've heard about this or people talking about it, there are some who sort of see it as a glitch moment, (laughs) um, you know, as just a personality kind of, Moment of de Gaulle's. Um, so, to what? Ex- how should we think about that moment? Should we think about it as a moment that reflects, uh, you know, twenty years of uh, policy changes? Mm-hmm. Is is everything mm-hmm. leading up to this moment, or was mm-hmm. it anomalous? You know, how do we how do we think about it historically?
0: Well, I mean, I I make the the claim in the book that that we really have to understand. Um, this moment as being bigger than De Gaulle. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, De Gaulle definitely is a dramatic uh, individual uh, and he (laughs) behaves in a dramatic fashion in Montreal, uh, you know, every aspect of his visit is designed to kind of be dramatic. You know, he 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 sails up the St. Lawrence uh, on on the Colbert, a French warship, lands at Quebec City. Uh, you know, then goes down the the, the highway, the, the Chemin du Roi, from uh, Quebec City to Montreal. He's he's fated along the route. Uh, you know, there are crowds. The, the Quebec government has declared a public holiday. Um, You know, this is a dramatic moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I would never, I would never uh, take that away from De Gaulle. Um, But by the same token, you know, this was um, this was planned. This was, uh, you know, perhaps the specific words that De Gaulle used in Montreal at the city hall when he said "Libre Quebec, libre." uh, Perhaps they were not um, written down or chosen in advance, but the idea was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can see it by reading the speeches that he was pronouncing from Quebec City to Montreal. But you can also see it in, when you trace the the, 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 the evolution of the triangle from really from the early 1960s to 1967. You know, but by 1962, 1963, de Gaulle is already telling his cabinet ministers, and to anyone who will listen, that uh that Quebec is destined to become independent, and the trip and all the challenges of planning the trip in 1967 uh, was designed uh, to, um, to 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 serve as a boost for the Quebec nationalist cause.
1: So, what about the immediate aftermath, and then the longer term? aftermath of that moment of crisis you know what are the immediate reactions uh in the triangle and outside and and then what would you say are the lasting legacies uh of that moment not just in mythological terms but but in real terms uh not that mythology doesn't have real effects and and you know what happens when de Gaulle leaves uh leaves politics how does that that moment last beyond his his uh political career
0: Right. Well, I mean, and this is this kind of brings us back to the, the ambivalence that I was mentioning a bit earlier. Uh, because de Gaulle's speech is taken by some as as something very positive. Uh, and I'm talking about Quebec elements here. Uh, they, you know, certain independentist elements are, are, are thrilled. Um, the Johnson government, who up to this point, uh, the, the government of Daniel Johnson, I should say, uh, who up to this point was... Um, Happy to be taking advantage of what assistance France was willing to offer, uh, begins to begins to t- take a step back. Uh, there's a fear that um, Quebec is beginning to, to lose control of the situation. That Quebec is increasingly becoming a pawn in the situation, and so you have you have um, a certain a certain level of ambivalence in the France Quebec relationship, where you know. Quebec is 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 happy to be um, uh, the Quebec government anyway is happy to be uh, using Gaullist support uh, to kind of um, uh, to, to, to strengthen its hand in, in terms of its dealing uh, with Ottawa because during this time there are constitutional negotiations that are beginning to get underway between uh, Quebec City and Ottawa and the other provinces um, but you know, there's a a hesitation. There's a hesitation. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly in terms of Franco-Canadian relations, there is a crisis uh, as um, Ottawa is seeking to kind of put the uh, Quebec nationalist genie back in the bottle uh, and to really um, respond to what is a growing um, um, Gaullist intervention in Canadian affairs. And, And Ottawa really is at wit's end to uh, to try to respond to this kind of double-barreled challenge. So you have uh, issues in terms of the Francophonie um, as um, Ottawa is seeking uh, a Canadian membership in the Francophonie. Mm-hmm. Quebec is seeking a distinct membership, uh, even an autonomous membership in the Francophonie, which is beginning to be institutionalized during this period. And and Gaullist France, uh, both uh, in the De Gaulle period, but also post-De Gaulle, uh, during the time that Georges Pompidou is president, uh, is working, in fact, uh, deliberately to ensure that Quebec is going to have a distinct seat at the table of the Francophonie.
1: And longer term, I guess I'm wondering, you know, you said at the beginning of the interview, you said that part of the origin of this, this project for you had to do with, uh, you know, growing up and then being a student uh in a in, in the context of some of these debates and struggles over sovereignty and some of these other things. So what would you say the book teaches us for huh, this is a huge question. But <laughs> what what does the book hold uh in terms of lessons for thinking about some of these issues? Now, you know, whether it's Canada's place in the world, Quebec's place in Canada, France's relationship to both of them. (laughs) Any thoughts you have on that, on the longer term legacies of this period that you're talking about in the book would be great.
0: Well, uh, maybe moving from the general to the specific, I'd say from a general perspective, I think what the book allows us to see is a, is kind of the complicated nature of globalization uh, the complexity of globalization that it's not a linear process that uh, that there's always going to be pushback and that growing integration tends to uh, tends to increase particularity and tends to to uh, create pushback and certainly you know if you look at uh, kind of the um, Anti globalization movements of the 1990s and events since the beginning of the 21st century, we see this clash between, uh, you know, kind of the global and the parochial. Um, So I'd say that's the kind of general lesson we can take uh, from a more specific kind of triangular uh, aspect of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we see is an enduring Franco Québécois relationship, a privileged relationship, because Ottawa is effectively forced to uh, accept at least tacitly, that there is going to be an enduring Franco-Québécois relationship. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a professor now at the Université de Montréal. Uh, in my classes, there are French exchange students who are coming to Quebec as a result of the agreements and their uh, their sequels uh, that were concluded in the 1960s. You know, they, I tell them that they are the fruits <laughs> of this cooperation that really started to take place in the 1960s um and uh, so so there is that enduring cooperation in terms of in terms of in terms of canada in terms of quebec you know you have um obviously the enduring debate over whether uh quebec is going to be sovereign or not you have the evolution of canadian federalism as a Uh, that really is kind of forced to adapt to this notion that Quebec is going to be um, acting on the international stage. And you have an enduring... kind of preoccupation about what the French are thinking about things. Um, you know, certainly, uh, at the time of the referendum on sovereignty in 1995, there was a preoccupation over what France was going to do. And by implication, what the rest of the Francophonie was going to do, depending on Quebec's decision, uh, even as recently as 2008, um, when uh, Nicolas Sarkozy uh, came to uh, t- came to Canada f- and Quebec for a uh, meeting of the Francophonie, uh, he caused waves by apparently um, kind of uh, re- not rejecting, but at the very least uh, highly qualifying the previous uh, Gaullist policy and uh, suggesting that uh, you know there was going to be a stronger Franco-Canadian relationship. Um, and to be honest, even as recently as, as just the last few weeks, there's been a controversy in Quebec over uh, the notion that Quebec is going to be raising tuition rates uh, for visiting French students. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, the, the controversy uh, being that perhaps uh, this is going to damage uh, cultural contacts between uh, France and Quebec and, and more broadly the, the, the future of uh, uh, Franco-Quebecois relations.
1: You know, David, I've asked you about your sort of methodology with respect to diplomatic or international history. And I, I you know, note reading these chapters are so rich and you move, you know, I'm so impressed with this movement between, you know, geopolitics and then sort of national politics, uh, to you know, international relations and then the economic dimension, uh, and then the cultural dimension. And you're always moving between these things, um, in, in, in the book. And so I just wanted to ask you a little bit to say a little bit about that. Um I'm not going to ask you to choose what's more important but um you know how did you grapple with that moving between those things and and even you know to a certain extent you kind of keep them in their chapters but of course these things are all connected and you, and and you indicate that so I just I just wanted to ask you methodologically how you organized the book a- along those lines and and what some of the challenges of that might have been
0: Oh uh the challenges <laughs> the challenges were immense I'm not going to lie for a moment um no, it, it is uh, it is such a complicated story. It's such a complex story. Maybe I made it more complicated. But I mean, I suppose, you know, part of it um, stems from the fact, as I was saying earlier, that initially I approached this as kind of traditional diplomatic history. So kind of the geopolitical theme was what I first engaged with. And that, that kind of narrative was beginning to emerge. But as I was you know, undertaking research as I was kind of forced to contend with the um, absence of resources or at least um, absence of sources, I should say, in certain um, archives, um, I was realizing, well, I I had to deal with the economic dimension of things. I had to deal with the cultural dimension of things. And so, you know, uh, how I dealt with it methodologically, I suppose, was I I made a point of, of, of trying to give, each kind of large theme its due, uh, while kind of signaling to the reader that you know these were not you know airtight compartments by any stretch of the imagination. What's uh, what's going on in terms of economic relations is being driven in you know in large measure by cultural concerns and. and, and what uh, is occurring in terms of, say, Franco-Canadian geopolitical tensions? There's a there's a there's an immense cultural dimension to that because um, really uh, the whole question of where Quebec fits in uh, was at the was at the center of that as well. And so I, I guess ultimately what you end up with is three sections, you know one dealing with the pre-1960 period, another dealing with the post-1960 period. And then between those two sections, you have another section that's much more thematic in approach that kind of looks at kind of the ethno-cultural motivations, the, the geopolitical motivations, and then the political motivations. And hopefully the whole thing holds together.
1: Oh, yeah, it certainly does. Uh, yeah, I have so many more questions I could ask you, David, but I'm going to hold myself to one more, which is what are you working on now?
0: Ah, okay. Well, I'm, I have to confess, I am kind of shifting away from uh, the triangle as such. Um, what what ends up happening, uh, as I, or what ended up happening, I should say, as I was uh, working on, on kind of transforming the dissertation into the book, was I really began to get much more interested in questions of modernization, uh, of foreign aid, um, you know, what you end up with is a, a really kind of a neo-imperial foreign aid rivalry in Africa, as, as France, Quebec and Canada are, are, are battling uh, for influence and are using foreign aid as a way to 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 get this influence. And um, I was realizing that there just was not a significant amount of work done, at least in terms of historical works, in terms of Canadian history of Canadian foreign aid. And so kind of building on some of the themes, I suppose, that I first came across in doing this book, uh, I'm interested in doing a uh, or exploring the kind of the early years, the origins and the uh, institutionalization of, of Canadian foreign aid, uh, the Canadian contribution to what really was, a again, a global phenomenon, um, and looking at how... Um, The history of encounters between Canada and Canadian society and Aboriginal populations within Canada uh, ended up actually informing uh, how Canada uh, engaged with the global south and how um, the history of Canada's encounters with the global south end up, in fact, influencing Canadian Aboriginal policy. So that's, that's, that's the new project.
1: Well, that sounds really exciting. And I hope I, I'll hear about it when it's out in new book form. Um, David, I just want to thank you so much for joining me and for writing the book.
0: Oh, well, thank you, Roxanne. It was a pleasure to, to be able to discuss it with you.